Chapter 7, From the Life of St. Teresa of Jesus. This is a Discerning Hearts recording, read by Chris McGregor. The Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel. Written by herself and translated from the Spanish by David Lewis. So then, going on from pastime to pastime, from vanity to vanity, from one occasion of sin to another, I began to expose myself exceedingly to the very greatest dangers. My soul was so distracted by many vanities that I was ashamed to draw near unto God in an act of such special friendship as that of prayer. As my sins multiplied, I began to lose the pleasure and comfort I had in virtuous things, and that loss contributed to the abandonment of prayer. I see now most clearly, O oh my Lord, that this comfort departed from me because I departed from thee. It was the most fearful delusion unto which Satan could plunge me, to give up prayer under the pretense of humility. I began to be afraid of giving myself to prayer because I saw myself so lost. I thought it would be better for me, seeing that in my wickedness I was one of the most wicked, to live like the multitude, to say the prayers which I was bound to say, and that vocally, not to practice mental prayer nor commune with God so much, for I deserved to be with the devils, and was deceiving those who were about me, because I made an outward show of goodness, and therefore the community in which I dwelt was not to be blamed. For with my cunning, I so managed matters that all had a good opinion of me. And yet I did not seek this deliberately by simulating devotion. For in all that relates to hypocrisy and ostentation, glory be to God, I do not remember that I ever offended him. So far as I know. The very first movements herein gave me such pain that the devil would depart from me with loss, and the gain remained with me. And thus, accordingly, he never tempted me much in this way. Perhaps, however, if God had permitted Satan to tempt me as sharply herein as he tempted me in other things, I should have fallen also into this. But his majesty has preserved me until now. May he be blessed forevermore. It was a rather heavy affliction to me that I should be thought so well of, for I knew my own secret. The reason why they thought I was not so wicked was this. They saw that I, who was so young and exposed to so many occasions of sin, withdrew myself so often into solitude for prayer, read much, spoke of God, that I liked to have his image painted in many places, to have an oratory of my own and furnish it with objects of devotion, that I spoke ill of no one and other things of the same kind in me which have the appearance of virtue. Yet all the while I was so vain, I knew how to procure respect for myself by doing those things which in the world are usually regarded with respect. In consequence of this, they gave me as much liberty as they did to the oldest nuns, and even more, and had great confidence in me. For as 
taking any liberty for myself or doing anything without leave, such as conversing through the door or in secret or by night. I do not think I could have brought myself to speak with anybody in the monastery in that way, and I never did it. For our Lord held me back. It seemed to me, for I considered many things carefully and of set purpose, that it would be a very evil deed on my part, wicked as I was, to risk the credit of so many nuns who were all good, as if everything else I did was well done. In truth, the evil I did was not the result of deliberation, as this would have been if I had done it, although it was too much so. Therefore, I think it did me much harm to be in a monastery not enclosed. The liberty which those who were good might have with advantage, they not being obliged to do more than they do, because they had not bound themselves to enclosure, would certainly have led me, who am wicked, straight to hell, if our Lord, by so many remedies and means of his most singular mercy, had not delivered me out of that danger. And it is, I believe, the very greatest danger, namely, a monastery of women unenclosed. Yea, more I think it is for those who will to be wicked a road to hell, rather than a help to their weakness. This is not to be understood of my monastery, for there are so many there who in the utmost sincerity and in great perfection serve our Lord, so that his majesty, according to his goodness, cannot but be gracious unto them. Neither is it one of those which are most open for all religious observances are kept in it. And I am speaking only of others which I have seen, and known. I am exceedingly sorry for these houses, because our Lord must of necessity send his special inspirations not merely once, but many times, if the nuns therein are to be saved, seeing that the honors and amusements of the world are allowed among them, and the obligations of their state are so ill understood. God grant that they may not count that to be a virtue which is sin, as I did so often. It is very difficult to make people understand this. It is necessary our Lord himself should take the matter seriously into his own hands. If parents would take my advice, now that they are at no pains to place their daughters where they may walk in the way of salvation without incurring a greater risk than they would do if they were left in the world, let them look at least at that which concerns their good name. Let them marry them to persons of a much lower degree rather than place them in monasteries of this kind unless they be of extremely good inclinations and God grant that these inclinations may come to good or let them keep them at home. If they will be wicked at home, their evil life can be hidden only for a short time. But in monasteries, it can be hidden long and in the end, it is our Lord that discovers it. They injure not only themselves, but all the nuns also. And all the while the poor things are not in fault, for they walk in the way that is shown them. Many of them are to be pitied, for they wish to withdraw from the world, and thinking to escape from the dangers of it, that they were going to serve our Lord, 
have found themselves in ten worlds at once and without knowing what to do and how to help themselves. Youth and sensuality and the devil invite them and incline them to follow certain ways which are of the essence of worldliness. They see these ways, so to speak, considered as safe there. Now, they seem to me to be in some degree like those wretched heretics who will make themselves blind and who will consider that which they do to be good and so believe, but without really believing, for they have within themselves something that tells them it is wrong. Oh, what utter ruin, utter ruin of religious persons. I'm not speaking now more of women than of men, where the rules of the order are not kept, where the same monastery offers two roads, one of virtue and observance, the other of inobservance, and both equally frequented. I've spoken incorrectly. They are not equally frequented, for on account of our sins, the way of greatest imperfection is the most frequented, and because it is the broadest, it is also the most in favor. The way of religious observance is so little used that the friar and the nun, who would really begin to follow their vocation thoroughly, have reason to fear the members of their communities more than all the devils together. They must be more cautious and dissemble more when they would speak of that friendship with God which they desire to have than when they would speak of those friendships and affections which the devil arranges in monasteries. Now, I know not why we are astonished that the church is in so much trouble when we see those who ought to be an example of every virtue to others so disfigure the work which the spirit of the saints departed wrought in their orders. May it please his divine majesty to apply a remedy to this, as he sees it to be needful. Amen. So then, when I began to indulge in these conversations, I did not think, seeing that they were customary, that my soul must be injured or dissipated, as I afterwards found it must be by such conversations. I thought that, as receiving visits were so common in many monasteries, no more harm would befall me thereby than befell others, whom I knew to be good. I did not observe that they were much better than I was, and that an act which was perilous for me was not so perilous for them. And yet, I have no doubt that there was some danger in it, were it nothing else but a waste of time. I was once with a person. It was at the very beginning of my acquaintance with her when our Lord was pleased to show me that these friendships were not good for me. To warn me also, and in my blindness, which was so great, to give me light. Christ stood before me, stern and grave, giving me to understand what in my conduct was offensive to him. I saw him with the eyes of the soul more distinctly than I could have seen him with the eyes of the body. The vision made so deep an impression upon me that, though it has been more than 26 years ago, I seem to see him present even now. I was so greatly astonished and disturbed, and I resolved not to see that person again. 
It did me much harm that I did not know it was possible to see anything otherwise than with the eyes of the body. So did Satan, too, in that he helped me to think so. He made me understand it to be impossible and suggested that I imagine the vision, that it might be Satan himself and other suppositions of that kind. For all this, the impression remained with me that the vision was from God and not an imagination. But as it was not of my liking, I forced myself to lie to myself. And as I did not dare to discuss the matter with anyone, and as great an importunity was used, I went back to my former conversation with the same person, and with others also, at different times. For I was assured that there was no harm in seeing such a person, and that I gained, instead of losing, reputation by doing so. I spent many hours in this pestilent amusement, for it never appeared to me, when I was engaged in it, to be so bad as it really was, though at times I saw clearly it was not good. But no one caused me the same distraction which that person did of whom I am speaking, and that was because I had a great affection for her. At another time when I was with that person, we saw, both of us, and others who were present also saw, something like a great toad crawling towards us more rapidly than such a creature is in the habit of crawling. I cannot understand how a reptile of that kind could, in the middle of the day, have come forth from that place. It never had done so before. But the impression it made on me was such that I think it must have had a meaning. Neither have I ever forgotten it. Oh, the greatness of God! With what care and tenderness dost thou warn me in every way, and how little I profited by those warnings. There was in that house a nun who was related to me, now grown old, a great servant of God, and a strict observer of the rule. She, too, warned me from time to time, but I not only did not listen to her, but was even offended, thinking she was scandalized without cause. I have mentioned this in order that my wickedness and the great goodness of God might be understood, and to show how much I deserved hell for ingratitude so great. And moreover, if it should be our Lord's will and pleasure that any nun at any time should read this, that she might take warning by me. I beseech them all, for the love of our Lord, to flee from such recreations as these. May his majesty grant that I may undeceive someone of the many I led astray when I told them there was no harm in these things, and assured them that there was no such great danger therein. I did so because I was blind myself, for I would not deliberately lead them astray. By the bad example I set before them, I spoke of this before, I was the occasion of much evil not thinking I was doing so much harm. In those early days, when I was ill, before I knew how to be of use to myself, I had a very strong desire to further the progress of others, a most common temptation of beginners. With me, however, it had good results, 
Loving my father so much, I longed to see him in the possession of that good which I seemed to derive myself from prayer. I thought that in this life there could not be a greater good than prayer. And by roundabout ways, as well as I could, I contrived to make him enter upon it. I gave him books for that end. As he was so good, as I said before, this exercise took such a hold upon him that in five or six years, I think it was, he made so great a progress that I used to praise our Lord for it. It was a very great consolation to me. He had most grievous trials of diverse kinds, and he bore them all with the greatest resignation. He came often to see me, for it was a great comfort to him to speak of the things of God. And now that I had become so dissipated and ceased to pray, and yet saw that he still thought I was what I used to be, I could not endure it, and so undeceived him. I had been a year or more without praying, thinking it an act of greater humility to abstain. This, I shall speak of it again, was the greatest temptation I ever had because it very nearly wrought my utter ruin. For when I used to pray, if I offended God one day, on the following days I would recollect myself and would draw farther from the occasions of sin. When that blessed man, having that good opinion of me, came to visit me, it pained me to see him so deceived as to think that I used to pray to God as before. So I told him that I did not pray, but I did not tell him why. I put my infirmities forward as an excuse, for though I have recovered from that which was so troublesome, I have always been weak, even very much so. And though my infirmities are somewhat less troublesome now than they were, they still afflict me in many ways. Especially, I have been suffering for 20 years from sicknesses every morning, so that I could not take any food till past midday, and even occasionally not till later. And now, since my communions have become more frequent, it is at night, before I lay down to rest, that the sickness occurs, and with greater pain, for I have to bring it on with a feather or other means. If I do not bring it on, I suffer more, and thus I am never, I believe, free from great pain, which is sometimes very acute, especially about the heart, though the fainting fits are now but of rare occurrence. I am also, these eight years past, free from the paralysis and from other infirmities of fever which I had so often. These afflictions I now regard so lightly that I am even glad of them, believing that our Lord in some degree takes his pleasure in them. My father believed me when I gave him that for a reason, as he never told a lie himself. Neither should I have done so, considering the relation we were in. I told him in order to be more easily believed, that it was much more for me to be able to attend and choir, though I saw clearly that there was no excuse whatever, Neither, however, was it sufficient reason for giving up a practice which does not require, of necessity, bodily strength, but only love and a habit thereof. 
Yet, our Lord always furnishes an opportunity for it, if we but seek it. I say always, for though there may be times, as in illness, and from other causes, when we cannot be much alone, yet it never can be, but there must be opportunities when our strength is sufficient for the purpose. And in sickness itself, and amidst other hindrances, true prayer consists when the soul loves, in offering up its burden, and in thinking of him for whom it suffers, and in the resignation of the will, and in a thousand ways which they present themselves. It is under these circumstances that love exerts itself, for it is not necessarily prayer when we are alone. And neither is it not prayer when we are not. With a little care, we may find great blessings on those occasions when our Lord, by means of afflictions, deprives us of time for prayer. And so I found it when I had good conscience. But my father, having that opinion of me which he had, and because of the love he bore me, believed all I told him. Moreover, he was sorry for me. And as he had not risen to great heights of prayer himself, he never remained with me long, for when he had seen me, he went his way, saying that he was wasting his time. As I was wasting it in other vanities, I cared little about this. My father was not the only person whom I prevailed upon to practice prayer, though I was walking in vanity myself. When I saw persons fond of reciting their prayers, I showed them how to make a meditation and helped them and gave them books. For from the time I began myself to pray, as I said before, I always had a desire that others should serve God. I thought, now that I did not myself serve our Lord according to the light I had, that the knowledge of his majesty had given me ought not to be lost, and that others should serve him for me. I say this in order to explain the great blindness I was in, going to ruin myself and laboring to save others. At this time, the illness befell my father, of which he died. It lasted some days. I went to nurse him, being more sick in spirit than he was in body, owing to my many vanities, though not so far as I know to the extent of being in mortal sin through the whole of that wretched time of which I am speaking. For if I knew myself to be in mortal sin, I would not have continued in it on any account. I suffered much myself during his illness, I believe I rendered him some service in return for what he had suffered in mine, though I was very ill. I did violence to myself, and though in losing him I was to lose all the comfort and good of my life, he was all this to me. I was so courageous that I never betrayed my sorrows, concealing them till he was dead, as if I felt none at all. It seemed as if my very soul were wretched when I saw him at the point of death. My love for him was so deep. It was a matter for which we ought to praise our Lord, the death that he died, and the desire he had to die, 
So also was the advice he gave us after the last anointing, how he charged us to recommend him to God and to pray for mercy for him, how he bade us serve God always and consider how all things come to an end. He told us with tears how sorry he was that he had not served him himself, for he wished he was a friar. I mean that he had been one in the strictest order that is. I have a most assured conviction that our Lord, some 15 days before, had revealed to him he was not to live. For up to that time, though very ill, he did not think so. But now, though he was somewhat better, the physician said so. He gave no heed to them, but employed himself in the ordering of his soul. His chief suffering consisted in a most acute pain of the shoulders, which never left him. It was so sharp at times that it put him into great torture. I said to him that he had so great a devotion to our Lord carrying his cross on his shoulders, he should now think that his majesty wished him to feel somewhat of that pain which he had then suffered himself. This so comforted him that I do not think I heard him complain afterwards. He remained three days without consciousness, but on the day he died, our Lord restored him so completely that we were astonished. He preserved his understanding to the last, for in the middle of the creed, which he repeated himself, he died. He lay there like an angel, Such he seemed to me, if I may say so, both in soul and disposition. He was very good. I know not why I have said this, unless it be for the purpose of showing how much the more I am to be blamed for my wickedness. For, after seeing such a death, and knowing what his life had been, I, in order to be in any wise like unto such a father, ought to have grown better. His confessor, a most learned Dominican, used to say that he had no doubt he went straight to heaven. He had heard his confession for some years and spoke with praise of the purity of his conscience. This Dominican father, who was a very good man, fearing God, did me a very great service, for I confessed to him. He took upon himself the task of helping my soul in earnest and of making me see the perilous state I was in. He sent me to communion once a fortnight, and I, by degrees, beginning to speak to him, told him about my prayer. He charged me never to omit it, that anyhow it could not do me anything but good. I began to return to it, though I did not cut off the occasions of sin and never afterwards gave it up. My life became most wretched because I learned in prayer more and more of my faults. On one side, God was calling me. On the other, I was following the world. All the things of God gave me great pleasure and I was a prisoner to the things of the world. 
It seemed as if I wished to reconcile two contradictions, so much at variance with one another as are the life of the spirit and the joys and pleasures and amusements of sense. I suffered much in prayer, for the spirit was slave and not master, and so I was not able to shut myself up within myself. That was my whole method of prayer, without shutting up with me a thousand vanities at the same time. I spent many years in this way, and I am now astonished that anyone could have borne it without abandoning either the one or the other. I know well that it was not in my power then to give up prayer, because he held me in his hand who sought me, that he might show me greater mercies. Oh, my God, if I might, I would speak of the occasions from which God delivered me and how I threw myself into them again and of the risks I ran of losing utterly my good name from which he delivered me. I did things to show what I was. And our Lord hid the evil and revealed some little virtue, if so be I had any, and made it great in the eyes of all, so that they always held me in much honor. For although my follies came occasionally into light, people would not believe it when they saw other things which they thought good. The reason is that he who knoweth all things saw it was necessary it should be so, in order that I might have some credit given me by those to whom in after years I was to speak of his service. His supreme munificence regarded not my great sins, but rather the desires I frequently had to please him and the pain I felt because I had not the strength to bring those desires to good effect. Oh, the Lord of my soul, how shall I be able to magnify the graces which thou, in those years, didst bestow upon me? Oh, how, at the very time that I offended thee most, thou didst prepare me in a moment, by a most profound compunction, to taste the sweetness of thy consolations and mercies. In truth, O oh my King, thou didst administer to me the most delicate and painful chastisement it was possible for me to bear. For thou knewest well what would have given me the most pain. Thou didst chastise my sins with great consolations. I do not believe that I am saying foolish things, though it may be well that I am beside myself whenever I call to mind my ingratitude and my wickedness. It was more painful for me in the state I was in to receive graces when I had fallen into grievous faults than it would have been to receive chastisement. For one of those faults, I am sure, used to bring me low, shame and distress me more than many diseases, together with many heavy trials, could have done. For as to the latter, I saw that I deserved them, and it seemed to me that by them I was making some reparation for my sins, though it was by slight, for my sins are so many. But when I see myself receive graces anew 
after being so ungrateful for those already received, that is, to me, and I believe to all who have any knowledge or love of God, a fearful kind of torment. We may see how true this is by considering what a virtuous mind must be. Hence, my tears and vexation when I reflected on what I felt, seeing myself in a condition to fall at every moment, though my resolutions and desires then, I'm speaking of that time, were strong. It is a great evil for a soul to be alone in the midst of such great dangers. It seems to me that if I had anyone with whom I could have spoken of all this, it might have helped me not to fall. I might, at least, have been ashamed before him. And yet, I was not ashamed before God. For this reason, I would advise those who give themselves to prayer, particularly at first, to form friendships and converse familiarly with others who are doing the same thing. It is a matter of the last importance, even if it led only to helping one another by prayer, how much more, seeing that it has led to a much greater gain. Now, if in their intercourse one with another, and in the indulgence of human affections, even not of the best kind, men seek friends with whom they may refresh themselves and for the purpose of having greater satisfaction in speaking of their empty joys. I know no reason why it should not be lawful for him who is beginning to love and serve God in earnest to confide to another his joys and sorrows. For they who are given to prayer are thoroughly accustomed to both. For If that friendship with God, which he desires to be real, let him not be afraid of vainglory. And if the first movements thereof assail him, he will escape it with merit. And I believe that he who will discuss the matter with this intention will profit both himself and those who hear him, and thus will derive more light for his own understanding, as well as for the instruction of his friends. He who, in discussing his method of prayer, falls into vainglory, will do so also when he hears Mass devoutly, if he is seen of men, and in doing other good works, which must be done under pain of being no Christian. And yet these things must not be omitted through the fear of vainglory. Moreover, it is a most important matter for those souls who are not strong in virtue, For they have so many people, enemies as well as friends, to urge them the wrong way, that I do not see how this point is capable of exaggeration. It seems to me that Satan has employed this artifice, and it is of the greatest service to him, namely that men who really wish to love and please God should hide the fact, while others, at his suggestion, make open show of their malicious dispositions. And this is so common that it seems a matter of boasting now, and the offenses committed against God are thus published abroad. I do not know whether the things I'm saying are foolish or not. If they be so, your reverence will strike them out. I entreat you to help my simplicity 
by adding a good deal to this because the things that relate to the service of God are so feebly managed that it is necessary for those who would serve him to join shoulder to shoulder if they are to advance at all. For it is considered safe to live amidst the vanities and pleasures of the world, and few there be who regard them with unfavorable eyes. But if anyone begins to give himself up to the service of God, there are so many to find fault with him that it becomes necessary for him to seek companions in order that he may find protection among them till he grows strong enough not to feel what he may be made to suffer. If he does not, he will not find himself in great straits. This, I believe, must be the reason why some of the saints withdrew into the desert. And it is a kind of humility in man not to trust himself, but to believe that God will help him in his relations with those with whom he converses. And charity grows by being diffused. And there are a thousand blessings here in which I would not dare to speak of if I had not known by experience the great importance of it. It is very true that I am the most wicked and the basis of all who were born of women. But I believe that he who, humbling himself, though strong, yet trusteth not in himself, and believeth another who in this matter has had experience, will lose nothing. Of myself, I may say that if our Lord had not revealed to me this truth and given me the opportunity of speaking very frequently to persons given to prayer, I should have gone on falling and rising till I tumbled into hell. I had many friends to help me to fall, but as to rising again, I was so much left to myself that I wonder now I was not always on the ground. I praise God for his mercy, for it was he only who stretched out his hand to me. May he be blessed forever. Amen.